I'm eating grapes, Terry. What uh, what kind of grapes? They're uh, they're tricolor. They're on special at the grocery store. That's that's bold. They're gonna. I don't. Know. I, don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could mix my grapes together. That's that's too much happening at once. People are gonna love the sound of grapes being squished uh, on their audio. So what are the three? It's green, red, and black. <coughs> no, I'm choking on a grape. <laughs> choking on your tricolored grapes. Oh man. Uh yeah. Green, red, and black. Although black is really just a darker shade of purple. Whoa. I don't yeah. Do the black ones taste like the red ones? Or cause it's or are they their own I think, thing? I think they're a little um more earthy and maybe a little more bitter. I don't know. I'm gonna red grape, but I'm gonna have to look up the difference between the three types of grapes. I think red is my favorite. I I think that's a good call. That's, <sighs> that's been my experience in the past. They go bad quickly, though. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta eat a lot of grapes fast. Yeah, you gotta eat them which I do. I don't eat a lot of grapes, but when I do eat grapes, I I tend to just like down them. They're that's, very easy to munch on. They are. They, which uh, I feel fine about because it's much healthier than downing, you know, a bag of chips or cookies, which is what I usually do. Yeah. So with that, should we get started? Yeah. Welcome to uh, to Run Pine Option, a college football podcast where two friends talk college football while one friend eats some grapes and enjoys a choice pint this week. The choice pint. box of grapes. <laughs> this pint is uh, seltzer water and grapes. Uh, we are recording on October 11th. 2023 we are back but only for one episode before we go on a bit of a hiatus for the rest of the season carrie you're going off the grid uh i just got married and so we are going on a little bit of a hiatus but not to fear this is not the last episode we will be back um in a couple of months and in the meantime uh i am going to start a, a written product over on uh, on Substack. so uh, feel free to sign up for that. It'll be a lot of the same themes of this, and it will be somewhat regular, more regular than the podcast will be over the next couple of months. And then we will return without a doubt, no fear, for more conversation on college football. Right, Terry? No, we, we we go away for a bit, and then just we come back, and just when you think we're back, we we go away again. But 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 not not to fear. We'll we'll always be back eventually. Um, it's the circle of life. We always have to um, come back because somebody has to remind people that the Big Ten is not entertaining, and yet they are being paid a billion dollars to produce. I'm not going to miss that games. aspect of you mentioning this in every conversation we have for the rest <laughs> of for as long as I've known you. But uh, even off the grid, I'm going to send you smoke signals that are going to say the Big Ten is a bad. I'll, I'll know exactly who it's from. Um, so what are we, what are we talking about today? Well, Perry, I thought it would be a slow down on those grapes, buddy. I know you're excited about <laughs> your weekly pronouncement of the, how overrated the big 10 is, but, but, but take it easy there. I thought it would be appropriate as we head into a bit of a hiatus while we were at the height of college football season. If we didn't do a little bit of historic, uh, narrative on where we are in college football and what the status is of college football. And I'm not just talking about this season, as we see Georgia has finally gotten their legs under them against Kentucky. I'm not necessarily just saying uh, that this is a conversation about, you know, Mark Stoops being mad about an IL or 
the future of media rights, or this is, as we have described before, this is the last year of this era of college football, and it's very much a transition year. As we head into an era that arguably has the biggest changes since post-World War II um, return to regular college football and ushering in modern college football. Um, and so I think that now is an appropriate time. We've heard many coaches, um, some tongue-in-cheek, some ironically, a la Elaine Kiffin, describe uh, the current college football uh, environment as in trouble, um, as in a crisis moment. But I thought it would be an appropriate time as we take a couple-month hiatus to get our thoughts on the record about what is the current state of college football, with the recognition that when we come back in a couple of months, very little probably will have changed, uh, definitely not gotten better. So, Kerry, what is the current status of college football? Well, like you said, I think it's in transition. I mean, it's not the first time it's been transitionally won't be the last time I, I think it's almost constantly in transition but this is one of the big, the bigger points of transition and certainly for me i mean I, I you know there's there's been several phases of realignment but i i started watching college football uh in 2017 so not for too long and um to it already with the you know college football playoff and with nil nil has gotten bigger Certainly since then, and there's been some changes, you know, Alabama was still rounding off their dynasty. I think they're uh, falling off a little bit, still could win it all, of course. And, um, you know, there were still some pro-style offenses. Those have mostly gone past the wayside. Um, whatever I was doing, I'm not even going to call that a pro-style offense because I think that'd be giving it too much credit. Um, the the, uh, the amateur-style offense, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, generally you're, it's realignment, which is obvious in NIL, but realignment, which is the biggest thing and, and the expansion of the college football playoff, um, you know, it's, it's going to be weird next year to see, I mean, you're already starting to see some of the network changes, some of the scheduling changes, but to ultimately see an ACC and SEC, a big 10 and a big 12 and, um, not the Pac-12, I guess it's the Power Four now, you know, but to, to ultimately see those conferences look nothing like what we've come to expect them to look like. I mean, I saw a graphic on Facebook a few weeks ago showing the teams that are in the conference and it didn't even register. I was like, what am I looking at? It looks like someone just scrambled all the teams together and, and certainly to not have that geographically in common either. So that's going to be an odd thing. And what that means um, obviously for viewers just getting used to, but for the new status quo in terms of um, coaches, in terms of, you know, recruiting, what that looks like in terms of rivalries. Um, I mean, you mentioned the Big Ten schedule. You know, I saw a uh, headline that, you know, Michigan's working on, you know, a massive extension for Harbaugh. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see them get it done this year because their, their schedule's going to get harder. You know, they're, they're not going to have the nobodies to play uh, all year like they do now. So, um, I think those dynamics are going to change thing. I think things. I think an expanded playoff is going to piss off some coaches because they're not going to be used to dealing with some of the little brothers, and they're going to have to do that now. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and will it make? I think, uh, you know, I, I tend to think the college football is dying trope is overrated. I think it's always been a unfettered capitalistic mess, and those tend to not die; they just tend to evolve and change. So, I think the same thing. Uh, will be true of college football and I think it'll be new, but you know, change is good. Newness is good. And I think in a sport that is 
way, way, way too attached to the status quo, uh, you know, maybe that'll be a good thing. But of course, you know, it, it will have to come with, like we talked about in our Penn State episode, you know, new fans are great, new viewers are great, but it will have to come with an understanding of, you know, what makes college football great in particular and just adding more games and more teams doesn't do that in and of itself. And you've talked about your West Virginia exp experience since uh, re-expansion and how, you know, some of those traditional rivalries have died off and the new ones just aren't garnering as much interest. I think you'll probably see a lot of that from uh, teams as well. And you're going to have people wondering why the environments and why the teams aren't, you know, as exciting as, as, as you would have expected or you would have hoped. So will it become more corporatized? Will fans start tuning out? I mean, these are big questions and I have no idea what it's going to look like, but um, it's certainly going to be a change. That's for sure. And I think you could probably um, speak better as to what that means and, and what, what that will look like. But in terms of, you know, is it in trouble? I, I think maybe, but only if you accept the premise that it's always in trouble and that it always just, kind of finds a way to survive, whether that's good or bad. Yeah, college football is, the state is chaotic, as always. I mean, we're talking about a sport that we've talked about the history of that does, has just developed organically. It was not, you know, planned. There has never been a commissioner. There has never been an overarching body um, because the NCAA has never exhibited the power that they have on other sports because of the money-making um success that college football has always been um really you know since the the turn of the century um and so you know that's not changing the sport continues to evolve for better and for worse and, and mostly for better um you know i think if we think about innovations and in player safety and we think about the fact that players are now being compensated formally for the first time although you know we've talked um at length about some of the uh, opponents and detractors of that. And then we heard statements, you know, from this week, uh, Mark Stoops, the Kentucky coach going out there and saying that Georgia shorted by a nice team with all their NIL deals. I mean, that's, that is the way the college football just continues to evolve, but some of those evolutions have not been good. And we've talked a lot about realignment and how that's been. And, and I'm struck again, going back to kind of the very foundational thesis of, this podcast about how similar it is again to um, European soccer and that, you know, Roy Smith over at the New York times this week was wrote about how the game has very much. Um, there was a question about why are there still games that are kicked off simultaneously in big competitions? And the answer to that is kind of, it's a historic lineage thing because, you know, right now you would of course want to expand the amount of money um, that you can take in by showing more games um, because soccer has become a televised sport, sometimes at the cost of the crowds. But at the same time, uh, the game itself is, you know, not necessarily, it, it is a competition, but it is the show that the crowd participates in. And that's what really makes it, um, as we talked about in the Penn State episode, the crowd and the environment is what makes college football different. Going back to our very first episode about is college football different and what we see is, in this kind of evolution on tv money and media rights um and even the amount of money being dumped into athletic departments is that oftentimes um it is the fan the true fan the crowd um that takes the uh blunt of the negative evolution and i don't see that changing not just in a few months but but continuing i mean we're talking about kickoffs that for you know 
West Coast teams might be nine in the morning now, the local time with the expansion. Well, I can't just blame the Big Ten anymore, um, you know, with the expansion of a host of conferences, including the ACC. Um, and so you're going to see that the evolution has continued to move away from uh, the roots and the foundation at the expense of, of money. And yet that is also what has always been true about college football, as we have talked about, is that it comes down to money. And I think, you know, in today's society, we can have conversations openly about unfettered capitalism and the negativity of that and, you know, making it out as a special thing in this time and place. And yet, if you did that about college football, I think that that's an ignoring of the entire history of how college football has developed you know the reasons why regional rivalries from even a hundred years ago um were dropped as teams went into different division models and things was because of money because of money that athletics departments and universities did or did not want to spend you think you know a good historical point i think is that swanee was in the sec swanee is now i believe division three um in competitive sports and so the point of that is all to say that this moment, while unique and special and large, as I already described, this is arguably the biggest moment and change in era in college football since the return post-World War II, where no longer did Army have a monopoly on players. Um, you know, this is arguably that and also the invention of the forward pass. This is one of those those key moments in time, the evolution of this sport, because there are so many changes happening at once. And yet that is consistent with what college football always has been. And so to treat it as a unique moment, to treat it as unfettered, chaotic capitalism, as this special, unique thing that's happening now is a very betrayal of understanding the history and I, I think you know to that point if we get into just a little bit of one of the things too that I wanted to talk about about the current um, you know uh, debates happening on college game day and the, the kind of Washington state feud that's been happening with college game day you know even the idea of painting an underdog in Washington state and Oregon state and somewhat rightfully so Pac-12 is now Pac-2 we've made fun of it more than enough and you know rooting for washington state and oregon state the washington state and oregon state have all participated um in that chaos and and have benefited from it historically in terms of expansion in terms of more money coming into their athletics departments it's no you know it's um a little bit ironic that at this time oregon state is spending you know tens of millions of dollars to renovate its stadium because of the amount of money that was coming into its athletics department and so I think the other thing I think about in terms of what is the state of college football besides the same as it's always been is that everyone is responsible for the state of college football and for that continuing chaos and that continuing unfettered, you know, access to money. Um, and so when you have detractors who are actively participating in it, and we've talked about this as fans, even fans bear the brunt of the, you know, yeah. of the blame on this too. Um the fact is here that everybody is an active participant in where the state of college football is. And again, that's the same that it's always been. It's just a new era of it. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, it's not all, you know, gloomy. I mean, you know, realignment started in, in the early 2010s. And, you know, so, you know, this is just, you know, many would argue that was sort of the starting point for a lot of this and this is just an extension of it. And, you know, some of the, some of these changes you could see, um, 
you know, uh, more exciting games. I mean, as you've been quick to remind us, I don't think anyone's jumping off the couch for, you know, Iowa versus UCLA. But, um, you know, you have a bunch of teams joining the Big 12. You know, UCF has already had some interesting games in the Big 12. Um, you have a bunch of lower teams moving up um, to the group of five. I mean, you know, this this is, this is happened already, but like James Madison, you know, once they're bowl out of the bowl, they look like they, they should have been here all along, right? Um, and then in terms of like NIL, NIL and that sort of thing and, and team building, I mean, you know, we talked about Deion Sanders and like that's already been a success for everyone involved. I mean, coaches can complain about it all they want, but he's made that a more interesting product for the fans and that's what, that's what it's about. And, you know, as a personality, even as, you know, someone who's not a big Deion Sanders fan, I, I've appreciated it. I've enjoyed it. I think there's more to him um, than meets the surface. So, you know, whether that team building approach will um, begin to, you know, move forward or, or, you know, more coaches kind of follow that path. I mean, potential for, you know, a lot of newness here. And I think with newness comes good and bad, but I think it would be naive to say that, you know, it's just going to be a worse product overall. I mean, college football never has parity. I mean, there's always, you know, busts of games going on, right? You know, that's not what we're in it for. So, um, oh, you know, and, it's... And Terry, I want to hit on that point too, actually, because I think that that's an important point too. And maybe this is more of a, we're dispelling some myths uh, episode than it is what's the state right. of college football. But like, when we talk about, you know, there's no parity in college football and people were bored with the dynasties. I mean, the Alabama Clemson dynasty um, of the last decade, now the emerging Georgia dynasty. But the fact is, like, again, a misnomer here in the state of college football, again, going back to it's always chaos, is that even in those dynasties, they rise and fall. Florida had a dynasty. You know, Colorado was an elite team. You had Oklahoma have dynasties. You've had... Miami of the of, from the, you know the mid 80s through the early 2000s and now Miami doesn't know how to kneel the ball I mean the thing is again the and as much as we can pin that there are major issues as you point out there's actually a tremendous amount of change and competitiveness that still continues to happen in part because chaos is the ultimate foundational role of college football and so I don't think that we should get lost as these new things are emerging as you're right. Teams are going to have to deal with, you know, quote unquote, little brother, group of four, group of five, whatever it's going to end up being, um, you know, teams in the playoff mix that that's a change that increases the chaos chance. That's a change that, again, is introducing the fact that this is an evolving sport always. Um, and, and, you know, we can point to last year, TCU's return to the national championship game. Right. Um, is a great example of just the fact that while there is no parity, there is again chaos and emergence of, of teams at any time. And it's such an offensive heavy era of college football. These, these exciting games, these massive comebacks, these, you know, lesser teams kind of put up fights, you know, against against the big dogs, whether in the playoffs or in the regular season, you know, just more shootouts and stuff. That's it's like that every year. I think part of the reason um, the NFL is struggling so much in terms of parity is because, you know, it's just it's hard to um, draft and develop from the spread game, you know, and and I think this, the spread game is the reason that, you know, college football is, you know, one of the most exciting products out there. So um, and, and you're going to keep having, you know, seven on seven camps, you're going to keep having QBs getting developed from the age of like 10. And, you know, whether that's a good thing for society, I don't know, but that that leads to talent. Right. And 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 we see that we see guys, you know, jump on the field, you know freshman year 
you know, that, that wasn't the case 15 years ago. I mean, that, you know, it used to, it took years to develop a quarterback and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a pass heavy league. So I think, you know, just as someone who wasn't around during that time, I think, I mean, the early 2010s had a lot of great SEC football. I've watched a lot of those games, but, you know, before then, like, I, I think it's, it's led to more position, you know, the, 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 the option game has led to more mobile quarterbacks and like, um, there's a lot of interesting guys coming into the league these days. Yeah, and I think too, I'll say two things. One is we shouldn't assume that dominance continues in any way, shape, or form. I mean, um, you know, when Miami left the Big East to go to the ACC now 20 years ago, um, the thought there was that Miami would run the ACC, and it took Miami um, the better, I think, more than a decade to make an ACC championship game. Um, and Virginia Tech went from being ranked number three in the country to, you know, they're struggling along under their second, third head coach since Frank Beamer retired. Um, so, you know, there is not this case that we can assume the dominant conferences or the dominant teams are going to continue, especially um, when you factor in the changes that are going to happen with scheduling and the openness of the new playoff and stuff. Um, and then, you know, to your other point, I think it's important to also recognize that, and I think this is a harder thing for people to recognize, um, is that college football in terms of the way that the actual schematics work and the offenses especially is constantly evolving and changing despite the fact that now we see really pass heavy offenses we've you know in the last five years seen the likes of um you know mac jones and joe burrows set unbelievable you know new records at lsu and alabama respectively the fact is that and we can argue that alabama is not as good as they were then absolutely that's that's not even debatable um we see Nick Saban. We've talked about this before. Nick Saban has reinvented what Alabama's identity is offensively, time and time and time again over the course of the dynasty, and he's doing it once again um, to success or to not. We'll find out. I mean, sure, they have they lost to Texas already, but you know the fact is that there's a constant evolution. Unless you're an Iowa offense. Um, <laughs> That is happening, and we saw that in another episode that we've done. And this, you know, this really is not a goodbye episode, despite the fact that we're going back into conversations that we've had here. But you look at Wisconsin. I mean, the conversation we had a little more than a year ago, and the pick that they made with Luke Fickle, and it'll take time to see those changes happen that I think Luke Fickle actually wants to see. But we've already started seeing, and just the hiring of somebody like Luke Fickle at Wisconsin is showing right. that there's a need to change. So I think you know, there's this constant. Um, evolution that happens also schematically and sometimes it's a return to things that worked previously the number of times I have seen it this season the old three set running backs or wishbone offense that SMU ran in a Pony Express um, is crazy to me but I've seen it dozens of times happen I've seen West Virginia do it um, in their last game against TCU multiple times. And, and so it's there's this constant return and innovation and finding what fits with players. And again, back to the chaos theme, what we continuously have to remember is that this entire sport is based on 18 to 23-year-olds showing up for three hours on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday to, to perform. Um, on top of the fact that you have coaches who you know, their entire lives are, are a sport. And so what does that say about their ability to motivate um, and to get their players ready for things? I mean, it's just, it's an incredibly chaotic thing. Um, and the entire sport rests on that when it's on the field. 
Yeah, and, and and you mentioned you know the the fact that Wisconsin even would you know make a new hire like that. I mean, you've seen that with the firing of Gary Patterson, with the firing of you know the Northwestern coach guys who were once considered untouchable, and and now it's better both schematically and ethically that those guys are, are gone. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you know in in those respects, I think change is good, and I think you know you mentioned just the chaos of the sport. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, you know, you you see it every season. The first five weeks of the season are some of the most chaotic, and you know, to have teams and you know shuffling around and then new conferences and then maybe new rivalries. I think it's you know it's silly to just assume that it's going to be you know maybe as interesting as ever just to try to keep up with it and see see where it leads. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we talk about the constant is the chaos um, across the board, whether it's the actual on the field product, whether it's the media product, whether it's everything going on, we, we've not even touched recruiting really in any of our episodes, which is um, a whole insanity in itself. I think that as we go into this era full blown, that it will be rocky as we continue this transition as any transition era is. And yet I do think that the sport will end up better off. And I say that because, you know, we talked about the ethics of it and we Michigan state as well, getting rid of Mel Tucker, which um, once again, in part goes back to money. I mean, I think I told you if Mel Tucker didn't have 70 something million dollars guaranteed on his contract, I'm not sure Michigan state would have launched an investigation. Um, Resume. Um. So you know, props Michigan State for doing the right thing and and investigating sexual harassment, and yet still not props to them because they most definitely did not do it for They're, the right reasons. Um, and they didn't do the process well. But that's you know, I so we have that we have ethics coming into the sport probably the most it's been by actually legally being able to pay players, which again is apparently Mel. This is new to to Mark Stoops in Kentucky, but hey. Um, I'm sure he'll catch up on it sometime. Uh, maybe you can ask Calipari for some advice on that. But that's all to say, I do think that things are getting better. I I have spoken about this. I think that we will see a reversion to the mean um, when it comes to conference realignment, when the media deals are up again in the next in 10 years. Um, I do think that you'll see a return to some regionalism. I think that you will see a renewal. We have seen renewal in regional rivalries, which is an interesting thing, because if you consider that 10 years ago, West Virginia, Pitt, Penn State weren't playing each other. Um, You didn't, you know, BYU-Utah no longer was a guaranteed game to happen, things like that. Now we're seeing the normalization because people missed that, and we're seeing that reemerge. And I think that, the fact is there isn't going to be enough money as we've talked about again, when those meteor things come, when meteorites come about again in a decade or so. And that's the, going to be a major driver of a lot of things. So I'm not saying we're going to get this ideal world um, where we get exactly what we want in college football, because again, chaos reams rules supreme. But yet I do think that this next era, while it's going to have its bumps, has more upside than downside and the realities of what I think the environment is going to be in 10 years will help shift us and our view back to what's important. That's all to say, we've talked about this as well, you know, football itself faces an existential crisis. Um, Yeah. The future of, you know, the athletes that are going to be competing in 10 years are 
seven, eight years old now, and are they going to be playing football? We've talked about we wouldn't let our kids play football. Right. Um, and so, and again, it there is it's an uncertainty, um, but I I do think there's nothing that is emerging to replace college football as the cultural phenomena that it is. Much in the same way, nothing is going to move and replace soccer um, as the cultural phenomena it is. Even as players come and go, and teams come and go, and competitions come and go. And so something will always be there to fill the void of that need for, for that cultural identity expression. And if nothing else emerges, then it's going to continue to be college football. It just continued to evolve and look different than what it does today. Um, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And and just quickly, you know, the, the expansion of the college football playoff. I mean, that's something that you and I have been, you know, preaching for for a while. And, you know, a lot of the people that are, you know, find things to be upset about whenever something changes in college football will, have, you know, have whined about it and will continue to do so. But, you know, again, to bring some kind of standardization to the and some uh, legitimacy to the process of crowning a champion, I think, whereas it's not the same three teams every year, plus a fourth seed that's going to lose anyway, right? Like, the, you know, you have so much chaos and then uh, the most exciting sport there is, and then it just shrinks. It's it, You have a bunch of bowl games that don't matter, that no one's watching. And, and uh, you know, you have the tiny playoff that by the time it rolls around, you sort of have forgotten, you know, what happened anyway. And it's on a Monday because it doesn't want to conflict with, you know, the Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's, I know that's partially by design, but ultimately I think to have an expanded playoff and to, um, you know, it's going to be a good thing. And I think, you know, once it happens, people are going to, you know, appreciate it and, and not want to go back short of, you know, the Georgia fans or, or whoever the SEC ones that usually get the buy. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about it's a, there's more, the sport is democratizing more across the board, player empowerment, um, for better and for worse. I mean, Northwestern's actually an example of player and empowerment maybe not being a positive thing in some ways as the players that were left um you know strongly strong were left by pat fitzgerald and that stayed at northwestern um were very very strongly critical of northwestern's handling of firing pat fitzgerald um but the empowerment of it um especially post 2020 that we've seen i mean the players college football players changed the mississippi flag um you know it just it shows that there is a continued push to democratize the sport more than it's ever been um, right all the way to the top in, in terms of how we're crowning a national champion. I mean, 30 years ago, the national champion was crowned by some AP voters. Um, there wasn't even a game between the top two teams in the country guaranteed. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a huge revolution and shift and it will continue to be but again that's to say that the fundamentals that college football are built on um are impossible to necessarily get rid of and that includes money and that includes the sport itself um those things aren't gonna aren't gonna go the way but i would be remiss carrie we're not a predictions podcast but i would be remiss if i didn't ask because we stand here on october 11th Conference play has really just started up. Um, we had the Red River rivalry last week. If I didn't ask you what your top four prediction is for the rest of this season. 
who I think is going to make the playoff. Yep. Is that what you're asking me? That's okay. what I'm asking you. Uh, I just need to glance at the, at the AP poll here because, as you usually do, you're catching me off guard with this one. Um, man, I am going to go with... I'm going to go with Georgia. Start easy. I'm going to go with Georgia. Um, I'm going to go with Michigan. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Uh, I want that third team to be... Um. I need to pick one Pac-12 team out of the three that I'm considering, um, and I haven't seen any conference play. So I'm going to go with Washington, and then for that fourth team, um, I I probably think Alabama is going to sneak in, but to keep it interesting, I'm going to put Oklahoma there. That is interesting. I think Oklahoma is a good pick. I think our top three is the same. And that fourth team, I think you could pick. You could pick a lot of teams um, for that. Um, I think I'm going to go with Florida State because that by the end of the year they're going to have uh, multiple wins over multiple top twenty-five teams, whether they're good or bad. Top twenty-five teams is another question, but um, but you could I could see Alabama. Um, you know, especially if Georgia. Does not is not that one seed. Um, I it is you know as we speak about democratizing and, and evolution and stuff. You know this is um, arguably the most wide open that the playoff race has looked in its history thus far. It's at maybe year one when Mississippi State and Ole Miss were were there in the top four at the beginning of it. But um, it'll be an interesting ride. Um, again, this is not goodbye. This is simply. A couple-month hiatus. We will be back for another episode of Run Pine Option very soon. Thank you for listening. And remember, subscribe so you know when we're back. All right. Take care. Sounded like I was ending a phone call. All right. Um, I'm going to get back to... Uh...